Why don't we just put our hands together and let's welcome, for the first time on a four-service Sunday morning, our lead pastor, Pastor Brett Esslinger. Well, hey, good morning, good morning, good morning. It's great to be here in Spruce Grove. And also, Stony Plain is joining us via video, which is absolutely amazing. Come on, Spruce, why don't we give it up for Stony Plain? So welcome everybody across both locations. Uh, it's a good day to be in church. We're going to jump right into the Bible. Who's got a paper Bible here? Paper Bibles. Wow, revival levels in Spruce Grove. Let's hope Stony Plain has the same. Uh, for those of you who don't have the paper Bible, Luke uh, chapter 2 is where we're headed. But if you're using the Version Bible app, uh, we've got that for you too. All your scriptures and notes are preloaded on there for you. You hit the more button in the bottom right-hand corner, then events, and you'll find Engage Church, no matter what service or location you are at. Luke chapter 2. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Oh, you are ready. Okay, Luke chapter 2. Let's go. Uh, verse 41 is where we will jump in. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first. You know that moment when you're traveling with a bunch of friends, and you're like, I'm sure my kid's over there. That happened. That this is, that's just Bible. So if, if you ever feel bad, Bible. <laughs> because they assumed he was among the other travelers, but when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, <laughs> like, I mean, I've lost things for a period of time. Three days later, they recovered their child, finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, with the eyes too, why have you done this to us? Why? <laughs> Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Uh, last Sunday, I was heading to Calgary last Sunday night to go to a conference on Monday. And I had this moment where I just casually lost my wallet. You know, right before a trip. And so frantic, like I relate with Mary, I relate with Joseph, I'm, except I'm like, wallet, why have you forsaken me, you know? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm like, I'm ripping apart the house, ripping apart the bedroom, like I am like keys, wallet, phone guy, like it must go in the same pocket, the same place, like if it doesn't live in the same place, it's gone. So I am freaking out because, okay, Des isn't here, so I'll just tell you. So she comes up and she says, so where was the last place? The last place I had it, if I knew, I would have it right now. So I rip everything. I, I took Everett to a birthday party. I drive to that venue. I'm literally like trudging through mud in a parking lot thinking it might have been like packed into a mud. Turns out, fell in the crevice of the car. Uh, it was fine. It was safe. 
hours on hours later, I find it, but there's just a sweet relief come, so I immediately go to Amazon and order a wallet tile, a little GPS tracker for my wallet, so now I will never lose it again, and if I lose my phone, I can like ping my phone too, which is awesome, so I'm really covering my basis, but I can, like that feeling of losing something is actually the worst feeling in the world, I think. It's, it's one of the worst. I, I don't know if my parents remember this, but I remember uh, getting lost as a child uh, in a Kmart in Millwoodstown Center, and I'm sure that the being lost was only minutes long, but it felt like an eternity. And, I mean, the training all worked. You go find a staff member. Your name comes over the thing. I might have even found him before that time. I don't remember the resolution. I just remember the feeling of being lost, right? It's like there's nothing worse. And, I mean, I think it carries over to my life. I probably didn't ask for directions then, and I'm definitely not going to ask for directions now. There's just something about being lost. But what I I love right here in this moment is that though Jesus is just gone from his parents for three days, like where did he sleep? How did he eat? I, miracles, right? Uh, The early miracles of Jesus, he made a bed and he levitated. That's not in the Bible. Um, But he was about his father's business. Now, it was expected that as you hit a certain age, 12, 13 years old, that you would go and you would have these great conversations with rabbis. That was a part of the educational process. So what he was doing was probably not that much of a surprise to those who were around, which is why nobody really thought about it. In fact, what he was doing when he was having those conversations was setting precedents for later in his life because those conversations established him as a teacher because he was known as someone who was wise beyond his years. And every rabbi was impressed with the quality of his question and the conversation. In fact, he spoke with such authority that they went on to remember it, and theologians believe that it was those rabbis later who actually gave validity to Jesus' ministry because they remembered how deeply and with such authority that he spoke when he was 12 that he set him up when he was 33 years old. He spoke with such passion, and he just had this insight. He had his way about him. So while his parents thought he was lost, he was found in the place where he was supposed to be in his father's house, going about his father's business, talking about his father's heart. Now, Jesus, with this in mind, shares a story about a bunch of lost things, and we find this story in Luke chapter 15. We'll jump in, uh, starting at verse 1, Luke chapter 15. So tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. I love that. We could probably just stop right there and call that a day. I mean, that's, that's life goals right there. Tax collectors and notorious sinners came because every time they came to Jesus, they didn't feel condemned. They felt like there was hope in the room. They, they occupied spaces in places that were not for them until Jesus showed up because all of a sudden when Jesus gets on the scene, you know what, everybody's welcome. There's room here. There's room for a conversation. There's room for you to seek. There's room for you to find hope. There's room for you to find life. You might, you might not have fit in at any other time, but now when Jesus is on the scene, they started flocking to it. So Jesus told them this story, it says in verse 3. If a man has a hundred sheep, And one of them gets lost. What will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. 
In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, I love this portion of scripture, but if you're a Christian, you might not like this one so much. If you've been around for a while, you might not be so pumped on the idea that Jesus finds more joy in a moment over one who's lost coming home than you who's been here the whole time taking care of business. Listen, I've been, I've been dropping in the offering. Jesus, you should be joyful when I roll in. Doesn't say that, but it does say that all of heaven throws down for the most epic party every time somebody makes a decision to follow Jesus one step at a time. That's why we clap. That's why we cheer. That's why we shout, because all of heaven is doing the same thing that we're doing. In fact, if you think it's loud in here, you have no idea how loud it is in heaven every single time someone makes that decision. When someone lost comes back, it's like, that's a derogatory term, calling them lost. First of all, it's Bible. Second of all, it's the feeling of being lost that we're referring to here. I don't want us to label any, well, that person clearly lost. Because no, is the arm of the Lord too short? Certainly not. Certainly not. The feeling of lostness, the, the, the language around being lost, is that way that person is feeling in that moment. Is feeling hopeless without direction. They're feeling like they need an answer. They feel, feel like they're searching some, something out. You know, the other thing is the only person that knows that they're truly lost is Jesus. Because while we look on the outside, we got a whole lot of judgments about what's going on out here. Only Jesus knows what's going on down here. So we don't throw labels on, but what we do do is we point to the one answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's where we find hope. That's why we, where we find life. That's what we do. We point towards the answer. Jesus is the spiritual Jesus. GPS that says, I found you, got him. Now, the truth is Jesus has not lost any one of us. He hasn't lost any of us. He knows exactly where we are. He knows how many hairs are on my head. He knows where I am. He knows everything about me. See, we think that we know ourselves the best, but there's one person who knows you better than you know yourself, and his name is Jesus because he handcrafted you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He, he knows you. He knows your strength, and he knows your perceived weakness. See, I'm not convinced that what you perceive as a weakness is actually a weakness. I just, don't, I just think that it's just an underdeveloped area where you have an opportunity to grow. So when Jesus is talking to this crowd, about leaving 99 sheep in safety and going after one, it seems a little irrational to us because we're like, no, I want to bet on a sure thing, right? I want to bet on like one, like I got 99, one, who cares? Like I'm, I'm not, there's predators. There are wolves, there are bears. There's all kinds of things out there. I'm sorry, sheep. I'm sorry, Lammy. I, you probably named it. It's like you had a good run, you know, you had a good run. And I'm sorry you're going to die a vicious death outside in the wilderness somewhere, not in the safety of this pen uh, at my hand. Because, uh, I mean, let's be honest, those sheep are going to die at some point. But if you love animals, I'm sorry. It's, again, it's in the Bible. We're preaching the text. So I, if it was me, I'd be like, cut my losses. I ain't going out there at night. Not a chance. Like, cougars, no thanks. Stalking me, no. I, I'm, I look more delicious than that lamb does, to be honest. I'm not going after it. So the shepherd does something which seems almost irresponsible to us, 
and chases down that one lost sheep. Like, what's even the value of one lost sheep? Like, what, is it, what, does, it even, what does it even matter? Well, thank God <laughs> our Father in Heaven does not think that way about us. What is the value even of that one lost sheep? To take it down to one more level, Jesus keeps telling stories. Now, he started off talking about the lost sheep because his, his audience was largely shepherds. Shepherds was, uh, to be a shepherd was one of the most popular vocations of that time, in that era, in that region. So they all understood what he was talking about. They also understood that those 99 sheep were well taken care of, that there were other shepherds that had his back, who when they all put their animals in the crowd, they would look after one another's sheep. So that it wasn't so much that these guys were forgotten. It was like these guys are well taken care of, but that one is still worth it to take it to a further level and I got to give a shout out to my small group uh we had a great conversation on Thursday night discovering Jesus Thursday night seven o'clock so good best snack game in town um you know it's true if you come we got spring rolls noodles we had this unbelievable dip this week I'm just saying uh if you want to learn more about Jesus then you come on over and snack with us and and we'll get to Jesus but we started talking about uh, the prodigal son, and there's this, there's this story, and it's in the same portion of Scripture, which I thought was super cool because this is where I was heading. So I was like, let's just drop this in here. We're talking about the prodigal son, and Jesus starts telling this story about a father with two sons, and one of his sons comes up to him and says, Dad, I'm cashing out early. I wish you were dead so I could have my money now. And his dad said, hey, you know what? No problem cashes him out. Now, I think it's overlooked the generosity of this father because there's all the details are recorded and what was not recorded was a harsh word. <laughs> what was not recorded was a hesitation. No detail was spared in the story. So the silence on those areas suggests that this father was overwhelmingly gracious and generous to the son, and he literally cashes him out of half of his net worth. I mean, come on, daddy. That's something else. So this son literally goes to the equivalent of Vegas and wastes his life in a short period of time and his inheritance and wastes his father's life work and probably the generational wealth that was passed down from generations because that's how it worked. So wasted half of the fortune of generations of his family on what would, would be an equivalent to hard drugs and prostitutes. And if you don't believe me, you can read Luke 15. The guy's so broke that he ends up in a farm somewhere feeding pigs, but he is so broke and so low on the totem pole that though he has a place to lay his head, which is most likely just outside the pig pen, he wasn't allowed to eat the food that the pigs were eating. And he was so hungry that he started looking at the food that the pigs were eating and said, wow, that looks good. You know you're hungry when the pigs are eating better than you and you think what they're eating looks good. In Luke 15, 17, it says this, when he finally came to his senses, <laughs> he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. 
I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Just, just give me a job. Give me the worst possible job. But even your employees, even your staff uh, are better off than I am. So he comes to his senses and he understands the strength and the generosity of his father's house. But in that moment, he doesn't understand the father's heart. I love this in the New King James, or sorry, in the King James Version. And this is actually closer to the original Greek in uh, Luke 15, 17. It says, when he came to himself. Now, I think that's interesting. You know, NLT says when he came to his senses. King James, closest to the Greek, says when he came to himself. Did you know that it is only possible for you to fully realize your true self if you are in a personal relationship with Jesus. It is only possible for you to live up to your potential, your fullest potential, if you are in a personal relationship with Jesus. Because we were always intended and created for relationship. We are created to do life with Jesus, one step at a time, with him, not for him. Sometimes we get tra- uh, caught in a trap of living for Jesus, which really means I'm going to do all these things, get all these accomplishments, all these notches on my belt, and that's going to play into my self-worth. I'm going to say, here, Jesus, this is what I did for you. But I can't earn his love. I can't earn my worth. I can't earn his respect. All I can do is walk with him in a personal relationship, understanding that I'm not worthy. From day one, I'm not worthy. I've never been worthy. But he died on a cross, laid his life down for me so that I could live and reach my fullest and truest potential. That son came to himself in that moment. When you come to Jesus, you actually come to yourself. You come to the truest realization of who you were created to be. John 3:16, I think you probably might be familiar with it for those of you who are not. It starts with for God so loved the world. Have you ever met a parent who so loved their child? Like so loved their child. Like extra loved their child. Like they're that uh, no, I shouldn't make that uh, association. I was going to make getting a lot of trouble about helicopter parents at the park. Anyways, I'm not going to make that comment. It's just too much. It's too much. It's too much, Brett. You're going to offend too many people. But they're that parent who so loved their child. Like, it's when, like, we're doing a, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I love doing baby dedications. And I'm not saying anyone's child here is this way. But, you know, sometimes you look at a, a newborn baby, you're like, wow, I'm so glad that you so love that child because that thing is an alien actually right now. Like that is not a human being. It's either an old man who's 94 years old and like Benjamin Button reverse aging or it's just a strange creature from another planet that's here right now, conehead and all. Like it's just the, it's, it's just like parents just so love because you love them so much you just see past the ugly. This is why the internet is broken because people post the ugly all over the internet for the world to see and you're like, Am I obligated to like this because I know the parents? But the ch- that's not cute. I know the caption says cute. Ugly. So thank God that's how God looks at us. For God so loved 
the world. And the great thing is that I'm included in that world. And we could say that God so loved me so much that he sent Jesus for me because he looks past the ugly in my life. He looks past the ugliness in my heart, in my actions, in my behaviors, in my motives. He looks so far past it. He looks so far beyond it that he looks at me and goes, I love you with a never-ending love. And so when I head back home, thinking that I understand at least my father's house has some room for me, I generally underestimate the depth and the strength of the father's love for me. It's what I call hippos and sharks. Did you know we're all terrified? Anyone terrified of sharks? Terrified of sharks right here. Sharks. Not a good idea. Like, if there's any sense of a shark, and just like, even if I, the fight, so, Des loves sharks movies, but I can just tell you because she's not here. Uh, Des loves sharks movies, but she hates going to the water where there could be sharks, uh, including lakes. Like, if, if, you, if, we've watched, if we've watched shark movies, like, good luck on getting in the water. But the truth is, hippos kill more people a year than sharks do. But like we like we go to the zoo and we're like hippos, it's like hippo, like stay away from a wild hippo. They're not they like they are hungry, hungry hippos. Like <laughs> they will hurt you. More people die from hippos than they do sharks. We've got a perception problem. We've got a perception problem when it comes to the love of God. We think we earn it. I mean, you're right that you don't deserve it, but there's nothing you can do to get it other than come to him. And when you think about the strength of the father's house, you're like, there's some, you know, there's some benefits. I would say this. Think about this. There are a number of us that maybe, maybe come to church or come to a, a Bible study to get some sort of moralistic baseline because it's just good values. And we want that for our, our kids. And you know what? That's a good thing. That's us understanding the strength of the father's house. But you will always find yourself wanting for something a little bit more until you could access and discover and find for yourself the Father's love. 1 John 4. For God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Verse 10. This is real love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I want us to latch on to this because this is where we're going to be going for the next number of weeks. In 1 John 5, verse 1, it says this. Just that first half says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, or in other words, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Savior of our lives, has become a child of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ has become a child of God. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a child of God. You didn't actually turn to your neighbor. So turn to the other one and say, I'm a child of God. <laughs> so the son starts walking home to see his dad to try and get a job to live in the servants' quarters. He understands that he'll get a couple meals, he'll understand that he gets a safe place to sleep. He understands at least then he can be in proximity to the life that he has left behind. Because how many know, sometimes when you're heartbroken, you don't feel like there's any way that you can get back. 
So you just want to live in proximity to your old life. I just want to live close to where I was. If I could live close to where I was, then I'll be okay. Can I tell you, you don't need to settle for close to where you were. As the son's walking home, not anticipating to see anything at all. It says this in Luke 15, verse 20. He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now... He is found, and I love this, so the party began. When we understand the Father's love, we begin to recognize that while I'm a long ways off, there he is, the Father, scanning the horizon, awaiting for my return home. And it wasn't just a chance encounter. That was the father in a premeditated manner, checking the horizon morning, noon, at night. Maybe today is the day that my son is coming home. In an unprecedented <laughs> premeditated act, his father would walk to the end of the driveway. Now there was a reason for this. community because of the shame and the, the sin at the time that was committed by the son the community actually had a right to take up the offense of the father and to stone the son in the streets and you're like that seems savage and barbaric it was, it is always will be but this was the rule of law of the day and so the father, understanding what was at stake if his son came home, said, hey, ain't nothing is getting in the way of my son coming back home. So he did something else. He started running, and we've, we've discussed this before. Men in this era did not run because you'd have to pick up your robe, and you have to bare your legs, which brought shame on you, which still does for some men. And he ran... And he brought the shame on himself. He exposed himself as he ran down the road, down the driveway, wrapped his arms around the sun. We don't understand the significance of a hug in this moment because we think, oh, that's nice, they're just hugging it out. Oh, or until you understand that because those citizens had a right to stone his son, that when his father wrapped his arms around him, hugged him, and kissed him, he put his body in between any rocks in his son. Not only did he take on the shame, but he said if there's anything coming his way, if there's any hurt, if there's any pain coming his way, I'm wrapping around him. you got to come through me first. He put sandals on his feet, not because... Not because he just wanted to give his son nice shoes. Because 
in that time and in that era, only slaves wore bare feet. So the moment he put the shoes on his son's feet, he was walking as a free man. The moment he put that ring on his finger, he automatically carried the father's identity. He said, this is my son. And then they threw the most epic party of all parties. See, I think we understand the Father's house. I think we understand that there's some benefit from, from coming to meet God, to coming to church. But I don't know if we fully have grasped how much God the Father in heaven loves each and every one of us. We might even say, hey, I'm, I'm all into Jesus, but I don't like God the Father. Because maybe you've had a bad experience with your own father. And you can't wrap your mind around a loving father. Maybe you say, listen, I've read the Old Testament. That God seems like a jerk. So I like the New Testament God. I like the New Testament Jesus. I don't like that Old Testament guy. Well, that Old Testament guy was the same guy who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you. I just think we've got a problem with hippos and sharks where we have misunderstood the Father. And there is a love, and there is a sense of knowing and destiny in life that can be discovered when we know that we are adopted, that we are chosen, that we are handcrafted, that we are, Ephesians 2.10 says, we are His masterpiece. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes all across this place. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with this idea that God could love you. Maybe you've disqualified yourself. You've put yourself so far away. You feel like your choices have eliminated the possibility for you being loved. And I believe that it is no mistake that you are sitting here today. It's no mistake that you're sitting here in Spruce Grove. It's no mistake that you're sitting here in Stony Plain right now. It's, it's, it's no mistake. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. When God so loved the world, that love includes you. That sacrifice includes you. You might say, man, I, there's a, I got a lot of healing to do before I can fully embrace the Father. I get it. But what if I told you that the only place you can actually find true healing is in the presence of Jesus right here, right now. So if that's you all across this room, in Spruce Grove, in Stony Plain, if you say, wow, I need some healing in my heart, Maybe you're a performance person and you've made this entire thing about what you can do. It's because you're trying to prove something to somebody. God wants you to know that you don't have to prove anything to him. His son already paid the price. Maybe you're just so broken from the state of your family, from the state of your earthly father that you can't seem to wrap your mind around a loving heavenly father. Today, Jesus wants to bring healing and he wants to bring peace to you right now.
You might be sitting here today and you've never made a decision for yourself to have a relationship with Jesus. You've never personally decided that this is for you. Well, can I tell you right here, right now, this is your moment. This is your time. God loves you so much. He wants to unlock the pieces of you that you think are missing. Because you're right. There's so much more. If you would personally make a decision to have a relationship with Jesus. So if that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you want to invite Jesus into your life. You want to start a personal relationship today. You might not even know all of what that means, but there's something in you that says, yeah, I need this right here, right now. If that's you, I'm going to count down from three. When I get down to one, I just want you to give me a quick wave. Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, you just give me a quick wave. It doesn't matter where you are. You want to start that relationship. You want to start that journey with Jesus. As I'm praying and I'm counting down every single person that's here, that's been exactly where you are, is praying for you right now because they know what it feels like. Here we go. You want to make a decision to follow Jesus. You want to come back home. You want to find the Father's home. You want to set that party off in heaven. Give me a wave. Start your journey with Jesus in three, two, one. Quick wave, quick wave, quick wave. Thank you, anybody else? Thank you, anybody else? Thank you, anybody else? All right, why don't you repeat this after me? Say it loud, say it proud. All across this place, Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, say, Dear Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you now more than ever. So I give you everything. I give you my wins, my losses, my sins, my successes. It's all yours. Jesus, from this moment forward, I'm following you. I give you my whole life. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, you're in charge. I'm following you one step at a time.